Well, church, how we doing? We doing all right? There you are. There you are. It's good to see you all this morning. I hope you guys had a, a good week. My name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at FB Hanford, um, and uh, we're excited about today. We're excited to spend a little more time together uh, out there on the lawn over there. Hopefully, for those of you who are a little bit upset about your normal tor- parking spot being taken, um, that you'll get over it. Um, just saying. Just saying. Uh, we're, uh, we're wrapping up our series right now on, uh, on Family Matters, and I've thoroughly enjoyed this series. Um, it, I, uh, I feel like it is a constant reminder for me every week as I'm studying, as I'm preparing, even as I got the opportunity to just listen uh, to Mikey last week uh, to uh, make sure that the lens through which I am looking at my family, the way that I am raising my family, um, is, a, is a godly one. And so I hope you have gotten that out of it as well. Uh, the, the weeks between uh, now and December, we are going to spend some time uh, talking about the epistles of Paul. And so what we're going to do is weekly, we're going to look at a different epistle from about 30,000 foot perspective. Um, and so that's what you're going to get until Christmas time. And then we thought in December, um, we would talk about Christmas. So that's where, that's where we're going, uh, for, uh, for the rest of the year, but we're kicking off that, uh, that new series next week and I'm excited about it. So I hope, uh, I hope you, uh, you come and you can watch me try to stuff all of Romans into about 40 minutes. So if nothing else, you'll be entertained by it. Um, but uh, but as we as we do wrap this series, I was thinking about like just the per- perspective of what of, of how like I said I want to raise my family. What I want different days to look like. I just told my wife the other day that I would uh, I want to figure out just like what's our night like what's our night where we get to order pizza and play Monopoly as a family and then someone gets upset and throws the board across the room. You know, like good quality family time like that. Um, and then I started thinking about Saturday mornings because, uh, we're not in, involved in sports right now or anything like that. Our boys aren't for this season anyway. Um, and so I was like, man, Saturday mornings, that would be a lot of fun. Because if you think about Saturdays and like the perception of Saturday mornings in the family, and even like as you're watching movies and TV shows, right? And Saturday mornings, let me tell you are so peaceful. They're the most relaxing things in the world, according to Hollywood, right? Because what happens is, is mom and dad are like super refreshed, right? They get up and there's nothing wrong with mom and dad. There's not a burden in the world. And you see kids running out in ironed pajamas, which is strange. And so you just caught the ironed part of that, ironed pajamas. Their hair is perfectly combed. And you're like, wait, what? How did that happen and they run out to a plate of pancakes that's stacked about 10, 10 pancakes high, perfectly symmetrical, perfectly browned with one square of butter on the top and syrup drizzled over it. There's not nearly enough syrup though for the amount of pancakes that there are, but it looks pretty nonetheless. Um, dad's like reading the paper in the corner, right? And he's happy and he hasn't even had coffee yet. So you know, it's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> um, mom's not disheveled at all. Her makeup is done. Her hair is done for the day and her pajamas are also ironed too. And you're like, what is happening right now? This is not, this is not real family dynamics. This is not what a Saturday 
morning looks like because the reality is when you're my stage of life, there is nothing calm or serene about Saturday mornings at all, right? Like <laughs> we have a kid just this morning, we had a kid roll into our bedroom. She's like, dad, it's time to wake up. It's not time to wake up, bro. Like go back to bed. And he's like dressed head to toe. I'm like, bro, just go pour yourself some cereal and turn on a TV show, please. Like just go like that's, that's a more accurate representation of Saturday mornings. I feel like it's like, I, I don't know, a scrounge for something in the cabinet. I don't care if it's like steak from last night, like you figure it out. Um, but even as I was thinking about, about small things like Saturday mornings, that, that we need to think about the fact that everything we do, whether good or bad, is being observed by people who are ultimately imitators of what we do, whether good or bad. Right. And so when I'm getting up there, when I'm on Saturday morning and I wake up and my hair's disheveled and I'm struggling to get to the coffee machine as quickly as I can, uh, my kids are watching my interactions with my between myself and my wife. They are listening to the interactions in the way that I am talking to them in the morning time. They are listening and watching the things that I am constantly doing. And it doesn't just have to be Saturday morning. It's every single day, every single opportunity they get to see me and interact with me. They're watching me. They are, they are doing their best to, to imitate me and be imitators of who um, I am. And I'm not just talking about kids. And that's one of the interesting things about this is that we are imitators of people. All of us are, whether we like it or not. Right? The more time you spend hanging out with someone, the more opportunity you have to bring on some of their vocabulary. Right? It's why if you've ever taken an extended vacation to the East Coast, you come back and, and you are talking like you're from Boston all of a sudden. People are like, well, that's strange. Did you grow up in Boston? I'm like, no, I am just lost my cockies or, you know, whatever. Um, but it's true. Every single one of us are imitators of things that we see and things that we hear. We are constantly imitating other people. So the people who you are surrounded with, you are becoming imitators of them. The people who are, sur- who, who, who are in your family specifically are imitators of you as well. All of us have people in our lives that are depending on us to help lead them well. Every single one of us. It doesn't matter your stage of life. It doesn't matter if you're in junior high and you have parents who are not yet believers or parents who are believers and are acting unbecomingly of the Lord. It doesn't matter if you're 12 years old or if you're 120 years old. You have people who you are influencing in your life, people who are looking to you, people that you are leading in some way, shape, or form. Even if that leadership is unintentional, you are leading them. In the same way we think about culture, the culture is constantly being created, whether we like it or not, is that there is a culture perpetuated and created in your workplace. So you think about a workplace that is a hostile work environment that you are not looking forward to going to every, way, every, every day. The culture of that workplace is being created, probably unintentionally, but it is being created regardless. The culture of your family is also being created regularly. The way and the, the, the way that you do things, the way that you say things are being imitated by your kids, by your spouse, by your grandparents, by your in-laws, whatever it may be. And because of that, a culture is being created in your home. And if we want that culture to be a healthy culture, we need to make sure that we are indeed leading ourselves 
well. Because all of us, like I said, have people in our lives that are depending on us to help lead them. And the most notable is your family. Man, I, I, uh, I said this once a few weeks back, and I'll say it again, and I'm not going to apologize for it the way that I did a few weeks back. Uh, you're the spiritual leader of your homes. That is your responsibility. And if that offends you, good. You are the spiritual leader of your homes. Embrace that role because there are people depending on you to lead. Some of us lead kids. Some of us lead spouses. Some of us lead grandparents, whomever it may be. There are people who see you as you are, as a Christian. People who are curious about what that means, why you do what you do, who you are, what you believe. And most often it isn't this beautifully well laid out argument that you get to give them. You just say, well, I'm a Christian because this, 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 and this. No, most often it's people who are merely observing what it is that you are doing and then deciding if they want to be a part of that. That's why when I said two weeks ago, uh, more is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. We have a, my, uh, and I'll get to scripture in just a second. I know some of you are squirming in your seats thinking he hasn't said any scripture yet. I'll get there, okay? But we have a, uh, a six-year-old, his name's Owen, and uh, Owen is uh, the, the life of the party or a complete and total recluse, depending on how he's feeling. Bottom line is he doesn't care about your feelings. He's just going to do what he wants to do, okay? That's Owen. Um, but uh, as he's been growing up, we've noticed that like as Sarah and I are sitting there with coffee, he will come up and just pretend... Like he, like coffee is the greatest thing in the world, right? Just like, oh, dad, can I have some of your coffee? I'm like, sure, bro, go for it. And so he'll take a sip and wince a little bit and then be like, mm, that was so good. And then run off and play, you know, whatever. Sarah and I don't sit in our living room and talk about how great coffee is. Okay, that's not what we do. I've never sat down with Owen and said, you know what, Owen? If you want to have a fulfilled life, you know what you should do? Drink coffee. I mean, it's true, but he, I've never said that to him. Owen observes me. Owen observes my wife. And so as Owen is observing those things and observing our habits, I've never once, like I said, sat across the table and said, Owen, you need to drink coffee to fulfill your life. But he sees me drinking coffee every single day. And so Owen's assumption is, you know what? If I want to be like dad, I should drink coffee. And it's kind of a silly example of this whole thing, but legitimately more is caught than taught. People are watching what you are doing. In Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16, we see the importance of this. Where it says, you're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. This verse doesn't say that in the same way, tell people what they should do. It doesn't say that. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your what? Good deeds. 
They may see your good deeds. They may see what it is that you are doing. And so when we're talking about the context of the family, you need to understand that people are watching you. Your family is watching you. In your workplace, people are watching you. In your family gatherings, people are watching you. And they are watching to see who you are and what it is that you are doing and whether or not what you are doing is worthy of imitation. Should I do that too? I told many of you that my dad passed away when I was just 22 years old. The year before, when I was 21, he was asking me to help care for his spiritual needs. I'm, I was 21. I didn't know my right from my left at that point. And here's my dad saying, I want you to care for my spiritual needs. Because his pastor couldn't come over every day, obviously. He was coming over and visiting him. He had a really long bout with cancer. And so we're talking five years here that a pastor's not going to come to his house every single day or every single week even and be able to pray with him and be with him and that sort of thing. And so my dad asked me if I would do that because my mom, in the meantime, is taking care of his physical needs, getting him to his doctor's appointments, making sure he is remaining as healthy as he can and that sort of thing. But my dad was watching me regarding my confidence in my faith, regarding the direction that I was going with my life, regarding what I believed and who I believed. And so as he saw that, and as I got the opportunity to visit with him regularly, he asked me finally one day, he said, can you, when you come, can you just read scripture to me? And again, this isn't like a reflection on who I am. I knew nothing. I still know nothing. But regardless of that is, is he recognized something in me, and that something was my belief and assurance in my salvation in Christ. My trust in scripture, me walking in such a way that was becoming to the Lord. And so because of that, he said, hey, can you, can you just read to me? He wasn't asking me to put together sermons or anything like that. It was, can you read some Psalms to me? Can you read from the book of John for me? I was like, yeah, absolutely. My dad was watching me. If you're a student in the room, students who are in the room. You have far greater potential than you give yourself credit for. Live up to who you think you can be because people are watching. If you are a young person in the room in your 20s, 30s, I said 30s because I want to feel young still. <laughs> but if you're a young person in the room, people are watching you there's an older and a younger generation watching you, determining whether or not who you are and what you do is worthy of imitation. They're watching you. If you're in your 40s or your 50s, 60s, people who are getting into their grandparenting years, finishing out high school age with kids, people are watching you. People are watching how not only you are parenting adolescence into college age, but also they're watching you and how you interact with them when they start their own families. 
when they begin to, to have babies of their own and watching how you interact with them personally, how you interact with God, how, how able you are like a few weeks ago to let go of that baton and allow us, somebody else to sprint. And the remainder of you, 70s on up, if people aren't watching you, they should be. You get the opportunity, you have earned the opportunity at that stage of life to become a sage of wisdom for people to be able to look to, to talk with, to get wisdom, wisdom from you. So the decisions that they are making, people who are my age, who think sometimes, man, we got it, I got it, don't worry about it, I got it who are dumb enough and arrogant enough to think that, man, they should be watching you. People are watching us regularly. We need to decide that we are going to stop playing it safe and begin to be bold in our faith, begin to walk, through, walk out the things that we actually believe. We need to live in such a way that people have no choice but to respect what it is that you believe, even if they disagree with it. Even if they disagree with it. First Peter 2, it says this. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. Peter tells us here that regardless of what is said, you get a chance to let them see Jesus through your good deeds through your actions, through what you're doing with the love that Christ so freely gives. You have to be real. You have to commit to doing the things that you say you believe to do. You have to commit to those things because the reality is, this is your next blank, your, your personal authenticity leads others to action. Your personal authenticity leads others to action. Uh, did anybody watch uh, yesterday the, the end of the U.S. Open, Women's U.S. Open? Anybody watch that? Or if not, caught it on SportsCenter, or if not, caught it on Twitter, or on Facebook, or any other news feed that you look at, right? You can't open anything right now without Serena Williams' face pointing a finger at the referee, right? Man, breaking her racket, doing all the things that she did, and doing all the things that the ref did. I mean, it was ridiculous, okay? The whole interaction was ridiculous, and whether or not you agree with what happened with her, well, I'll take you back real quick. She accused the ref of being sexist, and the ref penalized her an entire game in the championship of the U.S. Open. That's a short version. If you haven't seen what went on, go online, go find something. It was crazy. Um, it's the first time I've ever sat through a tennis match. Because <laughs> let's be real, they're terrible. Um, it's like, wow, something exciting is finally happening in tennis. Um, but... Uh, but regardless of where you fell on that spectrum of like, oh, Serena was right, oh, the ref was right, whatever, I don't care. I don't care where you fall on that. I have more important things to worry about, about how you, your feelings about that. Um, but regardless of that, one thing that I can say about Serena is there's a whole bunch of people who respect her a whole lot more because of the fact that she is authentic. You saw her bear her soul yesterday, regardless of how you feel about it. She was authentic to the things that she believed. And so especially those people in the room who are like, you know what? I disagree with her. I would say to you, yeah, but chances are you probably still respect her. 
because she believes that, whether or not you believe it, she believes it, and she's stuck to her guns regardless of the outcome of what happened yesterday, which to me I thought was the most fascinating part. She ended up losing, by the way, and I'm not sorry for those of you who haven't watched it. Um, What's the main reason, though, that you have heard people not want to come to church, though? Because those people are... Yeah. Man, did you guys read my message before I... Before I put it together, no, because those people are hypocrites. And why do we get that title as hypocrite? One, because we are. Okay, cool. We can push that argument aside. That's not a legitimate argument. But two, because the fact that we say one thing and we do another. And then we're inauthentic about it. We say we're going to do one thing, we do another. Man, the amount of times that I get done preaching, I'm not just talking here, I'm talking about any church that I've ever preached at, and people are like, man, that message, let me tell you, was fantastic. You spoke to my soul. You fed me this week. It was so good. I'm like, great. I, I, I'm really, I'm, that's great. I'm glad that that's one thing I have done has done good for you. And then... The following week, they say the same thing. I'm like, oh, that's great. I'm glad and we're finally connecting. You're, you're moving forward. And then I look at the state of their lives and it is unchanged. 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 And it's because we're hypocritical. And it's because we say one thing and we do another. We say we believe one thing and we do another. We say we believe we're going to do one thing and we do another. Over and over and over and over again. And let me tell you, church isn't just for you. Church isn't for you to feel good about yourself and put a gold star on your, on your checklist that you did it for today. Church is about preparing you for battle. Church is about you getting, getting girded up. So when you leave this place, you are ready to encounter a world that is hostile towards everything that it is that we believe. I'm so sick of the church being a cruise ship because it was designed as a battleship. And so as we're thinking through this, and we're thinking through this idea of authenticity, I'm not, I'm not asking you to do anything you haven't said you'd already do. Because if you agreed to Jesus, you've agreed to this. You've agreed to scripture. You've agreed to doing the things that Jesus wants you to do. You've agreed to the Old Testament covenant and the new covenant that's laid out. You've agreed to those things because you said yes to Jesus. And all I'm asking you to do is say yes and be authentic. And as I'm saying this, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to project this onto just you because, man, I'm chief of sinners. I get the opportunity to bring the word. I get the opportunity to preach. But I'll tell you what, like there are times where I preach and I'm just like, man, I, that sermon was for no one else in the room but me. And so we're striving for authenticity. We're striving to be authentic, or, or authentic. And we have to be better. We have to be better. Because if all I do when I preach is stand up here and talk about how great I am, and I never let you know about my shortcomings, then two things are going to happen. Like one scenario is you're going to put me on a pedestal and assume that I'm this like super righteous, holy guy, man, Peter does nothing wrong. And then when I do mess up, you're going to be disenfranchised with the church and you're going to be frustrated because the senior pastor, the senior pastor sins? What? It's true. I do. Sorry. 
Did today a couple times. If you want to know about them, I'll tell you later. Like, I just want us to be real and authentic. I'm a normal person. We're normal people. We get it. But if we're trying to hide that, if we're trying to say, no, I'm, no, I'm good, brother. Thanks for asking. If we're trying to hide those things, that's not being authentic. And if we're not being authentic, it's not going to spur anybody else to action. But if instead I were to come up here and tell you that, man, this week, this week I raised my voice at my kids right before they were going to school because I get stressed out like with time stuff. Does anybody else like freak out when you're not 15 minutes early and you're just like, I'll sit in my car in the parking lot until it's time for me to go in so I'm not socially awkward, right? Okay. So I get real anxious in the morning and I'm like, you know what? Uh, I, I raised my voice at my kids when I was just trying to get them in the truck to take them to school in the morning because I didn't want them to be late. But in the midst of me raising my voice to my kids, man, I stressed out one of them. And because they were stressed out because of my own stress, they ended up doing poorly on a test. And so they messed up on the test. Then I get more frustrated with them. I'm like, how could you mess up on a test? He's like, dad, I just, I didn't have a good morning. My head wasn't in the right spot, all that stuff. And all the while I'm thinking back to myself, I owe my son an apology. Buddy, I am so sorry. A lot of that was probably from me. I'll do my best to make sure I don't raise my voice in the morning and let's just, let's just do our best to get ready a little bit quicker, okay? Okay, Dad. So there's a difference there. There's a difference between me saying, you know what, man, this week was killer. It was so easy to get my kids to school. I dropped them off. Like, let me show you the Instagram of my life, right? <laughs> my highlight reel. I never mess up. And I'm on vacation every other week apparently too. The reality is, is that perfection doesn't spur you to action. What spurs you to action is authenticity. It's the fact that I said, you know what? I messed up and I owned it. And I asked for, I asked for forgiveness from my son. And then as I asked for forgiveness from him, he gets to recognize Christ in me. And hopefully then that authenticity spurs you to action because you recognize that being authentic is worth grabbing onto, is something that is indeed worth imitating. And so you have to be authentic. And I'm not saying like, just mess up. And as long as you own it, it's fine. Like, whatever, no big deal. No, own it. Ask for forgiveness and move forward. That's what leading is. That's what leading your family is, is knowing that there are opportunities for you to mess up and you're gonna take them. And you mess up and you think, oh, I blew it. Okay, I need to go to my three-year-old son, and I've done this, and say, hey, buddy, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have yelled at you. I should have, whatever, you fill in the blank. Do you forgive me? Because I shouldn't have acted that way. Yeah, dad, I forgive you. You want to feel good about yourself? Apologize to a three-year-old. <laughs> Can we go blow bubbles? Yeah, let's go blow bubbles, bro. <laughs> Authenticity, though, breeds action. You being real with people in the same way that I was real with you breeds action. We were actually, we were sitting down, my wife and I were sitting down with a friend of hers yesterday. Um, and she said she started sharing her faith with a coworker as they were in the car, shared her faith and said, you know, heaven is real and hell is real and God is good. And he sent his son for us and did all the things that she was supposed to do. And her friend said, Hey, thank you for sharing that with me. She said, I'm probably not going to change, but thank you for sharing that with me. 
And she hasn't talked to her since. <laughs> Which I think is my, it's my favorite part of the story. Um, but her life is real. And her life is authentic. And she is doing the things that she said she was going to do when she agreed to follow Jesus in the first place. Because she knows that people are watching her. People are watching her. For each of this, we, 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 each of us, we need to be a little bit more uh, authentic. We need to be a little bit more introspective and look into the mirror a bit at what uh, that I have highlighted are a few areas that may be helpful. So they're not on the screen, and so you can lean in, you can write them down, um, whatever you want to do. Um, but I think it may be beneficial for us to, to look at a little harder when it comes to our own lives, because we have to lead ourselves well. We have to be authentic if we plan on taking our family somewhere with us, right? And so the first one is this, your gifts. Write down gifts. There's not enough pens writing right now. Write down gifts. How am I doing at leading myself by knowing my gifts, by staying within my limits and developing those gifts to their highest God-pleasing potential? How am I doing with that? My personal gifts are teaching and preaching and leadership. My question would be, what are yours and how are you using them to build up the church? Because that's the point of spiritual gifts. What are your gifts and how are you using them to build up the church? The next thing you should look at is your character. Write down character. Character. How am I doing leading myself by being a person of integrity? Following through on promises made and being a person that other people can trust. And this is a big one for churches all over the country. Like there's like if we can fix one thing today... I want it to be that when you say you're going to pray for somebody, you do it, right? Because there were people who walked in today and said, oh, man, I'll be praying for you. And like, that's gone. Like, I'm not praying for that person because I forgot to. Can we just stop that? Either don't say it or do it immediately, right? Are we all good with that? Okay, good. Write down, I learned one thing, and that's to do what I say I'm going to do, okay? But character, are you a person of integrity? Purity. How am I doing at leading myself by being careful of what I allow my eyes to see, my ears to hear, my mind to think about? How are my relationships with members of the opposite sex? And it's not always physical relationships, emotional relationships that tend to reign supreme in the workplace. How are you doing? with that? Do you have guidelines and safeguards and appropriate and honest accountability set up in your life? Do you have those things? And to be honest, as long as we're talking about purity, there's an epidemic in the church today regarding pornography. And if the word makes you uncomfortable, good, because it hasn't been talked about enough from here. 66% of the men in the world, or in America rather, struggle with an addiction to pornography. 66%. And ladies, before you wag your finger at the dudes, the epidemic is real and it's growing. And statistics say that one in three women also struggle with por pornography addiction as well. There's an epidemic in the church. You think, well, that's all of statistics. That's all of North America, all of America. The reality is, is when you look at the statistics inside the church, they don't change. 
They're almost exactly the same. How are you leading yourself well? What about pride? How am I doing and leading myself by keeping Christ uh, and not me at the center of my life? Am I the hero of my own stories? Do the words I speak communicate an attitude of arrogance? Or am I characterized by humility and teachability? Pride. How are you doing with your pride? Do you walk into a room assuming you have all the right answers? Or do you walk into a room assuming there's a group of people that if we collectively get together, we will be able to figure out the right answer? What's your mindset going into those things? What about your pace? For those of you guys who are in the, your, your, the, the working era of your lives, who are in your 30s, 40s, 50s, some of you in your 60s, what does your pace look like? Are you burning a candle at both ends? Are you working at a pace that your family can't sustain? Even if you can, is your family sustaining that pace? Guys in the room, man, we, I get it. Like we have a project in mind and we're going to finish that project. We're going to do it to the best of our ability. And we're not going to think about anything else until that project is done. But can your family sustain your pace? Can your family sustain your, your, your desire to work endlessly? What about your finances? How am I doing at leading myself in the money arena? You know, if you're having a, a hard time in the money arena or you just want to know more about it, we have a class that's called Financial Peace University. A lot of you guys have heard of it. This is my shameless plug for it. Tuesday nights, we're meeting here at the church. If you want more information, uh, you can contact the church office. We'd be happy to get you set up. But it's an opportunity for you to look at your finances and look at how we can honor God best with those things that we have. We all have areas of our lives that we need to deploy, that we need to look at, that we need to reflect on. And the reason I'm landing so heavily on this is because we can't help lead our families well until we lead ourselves well. We can't help lead our families well until we lead ourselves well. If my life is in shambles, it's impossible for me to lead well. If your life is in shambles, it's impossible for you to lead well. You can lead. You're going to be creating that culture within your home. It's not going to be a good one. You will not be able to lead well. If you aren't leading yourself well. There's people in your home who are counting on you to lead well. It doesn't matter if it's your spouse, your kids, your in-laws, your grandparents, whatever it may be. They need you. Having decided to carry the banner of Christ to lead yourself well so they know what a true Christ follower looks like. You have to lead yourself well. Former, former chairman of IBM, for you millennials in the room, IBM was a computer company back in the 90s. Okay, For those of you who don't know what IBM is. My first computer was an IBM. When I turned it on, it said hi to me. It was fantastic. Um, but nothing, he said this, the former chairman of IBM said, nothing so conclusively proves a man's ability to lead others as what he does from day to day to lead himself. And there's no glory in leading yourself well. There's not. Because leading yourself well is usually in quiet submission to Christ. Alone. Before other people wake up, after other people have gone to bed, in the solitude of your office, it's not shiny, it's not flashy, it's nothing like, it's simply something that we have to do if we are going to lead our families well. 
You have to start with yourself. What we do day to day to lead ourselves well always pays off in the long run. And the bottom line is, is that the smallest crowd you're ever going to lead is yourself. If you do that well, then you'll naturally begin to lead your family well. It is a natural outflow of those things. Imagine what it would look like for a second. If people in Hanford decided that we were going to lead ourselves well. Just say, you know what? Today, I'm going to stop and I'm going to lead myself well. What areas of my life am I pretty messed up in? And if you can't see them, start with pride. But what are we doing to lead ourselves well? Imagine that, that we were going to take Christ at his word and fall deeply in love with who Jesus is, with what he did on the cross, that, that we were going to look at ourselves and through the filter of the inspired word of God, we were going to weed out the bitterness and the arrogance and the pride and the sinful nature that pumps through all of our veins regularly. What if we decided we were going to look at our lives through the lens that God created for us through his word and say, I said yes to that and I'm going to honor that decision. We look like a much different place. And would we still be hypocrites? Yeah. Because we all fall short of the glory of God. But then you be authentic in where you have fallen and you move forward. We have to fully embrace the righteousness that Christ so freely gives us as his followers. We need to begin to understand that like Mikey said last week, we live in a world that is broken, a world that is messed up, a world that has broken systems and broken people and broken families. And we we have to operate inside of those. But how are you leading yourself inside of those? Because the reality is, if you're sitting in this room and you have a committed relationship to Jesus, then there is what? Hope. There is hope. But you have to lead yourself well if you are going to inspire that hope amongst your family. You have to start there. So even over the course of these last six weeks, we're talking about how to be a God-honoring family and move forward. We talk about, you know, the ideas of conflict and broken families and all the other things, the range of things that we talked about, mutual submission and authority and all of that stuff. If you're not leading yourself well, nothing else works. None of that even matters because that's all external. You got to get right with Jesus first. You have to say yes to his grace. You have to say yes to salvation in Christ. And you have to say, God, make me new. I'm going to do my best to put on righteousness every single day. The righteousness that you have given me as a follower of you. I'm going to say yes to you, Jesus. And as I say yes to you daily, and I lead myself well daily, there's going to be a natural outpouring of that into my family. Daily. We have to lead ourselves well. We have so much hope in Christ. Our families have so much hope. As long as we're saying yes to Jesus every single day. Let's pray and then go eat some hot dogs. Father, God, thank you for families.
an institution that you set up back in the creation narrative. God, one that is just messed up, that Satan is just picking at. Father, I pray that we would recognize that we have to say yes to you. We personally have to say yes to you. Every single day, it is a choice to put on righteousness, to say yes to you, and take that righteousness that you so freely give us and put it on to the best of our ability. And God, we know it's distorted and we're messed up and it's never going to fully work this side of eternity. God, but we also recognize that your plan for saving the world was your son and the way that you have chosen to communicate it is your word through us. God, I pray it would be a, an accurate reflection of your son. And we know we fall short. But God, I pray we would recognize that if we just start with ourselves and move to our family, if we lead ourselves well, we lead our families well, ultimately people are going to take notice that we will be able to lead more people well and more people well and that people would come to know you simply because we said yes a long time ago. And Father, if there's people in here who aren't yet right with you, God, I pray that you would just burden their heart. Pray they would recognize that they're here for a reason this morning. God, I pray that, uh, one, that, that, that A, they would admit that they're a sinner in need of a Savior, that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, every single one of us. And so we're all sinners, we're all messed up, but we have to start by admitting the fact that we are messed up. That B, that we would uh, believe that you sent your son to the cross on our behalf. That we believe that he was killed, buried, but ultimately he conquered death and he rose again. And Father, we're incredibly thankful for that, but we would believe that and see, like we've been talking about, we would choose to follow him every single day of our lives. Every single day. So Father, I'm thankful for those who are being welcomed into the family this morning, and I'm thankful for those who are saying yes to you again and taking you at your word. God, I pray we would lead ourselves well. It's in your son's name. Amen.